Well, please take your Bibles and we'll turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to look uh, particularly at um, verse 16. I want to read from 15 uh, down to 17. So Ephesians chapter 5, let me read from verse 15 again. Look carefully then how you walk, and not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I love uh, this quote from Kipling. It's in his, uh, his poem, If. It says this, If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the world and everything that's in it. And, which is more, you'll be a man, my son. Well, really, that's what Paul wants us to do. He wants us to fill every 60 seconds with, uh, every minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run. He's saying to us in verse uh, 16, make the most of your time, the way the uh, old King James and the new King James render it, redeem the time. Paul wants us to make the most of the opportunities that God gives us. Now, in Ephesians, Paul is in the second section of the, of the book, in the very practical second section. He's telling us how we ought to live, telling us how we ought to walk. That's the image that he uses to talk about the way in which we are to live. And he says in verse 17 of chapter 4, don't walk the way the Gentiles walk. You used to walk, used to live the way the Gentiles live, live that way no longer. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1, he says, walk worthy of your calling. Chapter 5, verse 2, he says, walk in love, imitating God. And then in verse 15 of chapter 5, he says, look carefully then how you walk. Perhaps you remember the uh, King James Version, which says, walk circumspectly, uh, walk carefully, uh, take great care. Be very fastidious about how you walk through this world. Not careless, not unconcerned, not foolhardy, but be wise and be very careful about how you walk. Then he says that one of the ways in which you will walk, if you're careful, is that you will redeem the time. You will make the most of the opportunities. You will make the best use of the time that God gives you. So when we walk away from this message, I hope that we will understand what it means to redeem the time or make the most and best use of your time, and and also then that we'll be motivated to do just that. And here's a a text that we want tonight and tomorrow and uh, during the course of this week. We want to put this into practice. We need to live this out in our lives. It's not an academic exercise when you listen to preaching. It's transformative. That's the point of preaching. It's to be transformative. The purpose of preaching is to send out truth so that God will use it to transform our lives. So we want to 
this week. We want to, more and more, make the best use of our time. We want to redeem the time. Well, in order to do that, we want to ask uh, three questions. And the first is this. What does it mean to redeem the time? What does it mean to redeem the time? This isn't the only time in the Scriptures when we find this kind of concern expressed. Psalm 90, verse 12, we read, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Well, here's a prayer, then, that echoes the exhortation and command that Paul gives us in this text. But what does he mean, then, by make the most of the opportunities or redeem the time. Well, think first about the word time. In Greek, you have two words for time, and the first word means something quite general. It means, uh, well, I'm running out of time, sequence of moments. I'm running out of time. Um, I have lots of time on my hands, something like that. The second word uh, refers to a fixed period of time, not just a sequence of moments now, but we're talking about a, a fixed moment of time, a definite period of time. This is an opportunity. This is a block of time that's presented to us. Here it is, and we need to make the best use of it. And that's the way Paul is using, uh, uh, that's the way Paul is thinking about time in our text. He's thinking about this concept of opportunity. He's using that second word, and he's saying to us now, this is how you need to think of life. And I wonder if we think of life that way. Do we just think of life as, you know, time just goes on and on. It's one day after another. And Paul says, no, you think of your life like this. Think of your life as an opportunity. Think of the days that are presented to you, the days that come in the providence of God to you. These are opportunities presented to you by God for a purpose. And he's saying to us now, make the best use of the time. Make the best use of the opportunities that God presents to you. So, time. Now, the word redeem, it's translated here in our text, make the best use. The word is redeem, really, as it's translated in the New King James. It literally means something like this, to, to buy back. To buy back. And by the payment of a price, then, you buy something back. You buy time back uh, from someone who owns it. And that's what Paul is talking about here. It's, it's the same word that's used of the Lord Jesus' work on the cross. And the Lord Jesus redeems us. And he buys us back. Now, that's exactly what he did. That's what he accomplished on the cross. And that's why we're Christians now, because he's redeemed us. And now we have the opportunity to live for him. We can say for us to live as Christ because Christ has redeemed us. Now what Paul does is he takes that word redeem and he uses it as a bit of a metaphor. And he says, now let me apply that to the concept of time. And he says, think about it like this. Time has fallen into evil hands. And what you need to do is to rescue it and buy it back and put it to good use for the glory of God and for the good of others, and for the blessing of our generation. So, redeem the time, is what Paul is saying. Make the most use of the time and the opportunities that God has given you. John Piper has a book 
entitled, Don't Waste Your Life. It's, it's uneven as a book. I don't wholeheartedly recommend it, but it's useful. And it has a, it, the general idea is really good. The title is fabulous. Don't Waste Your Life. You say, well, Christians can't waste their life. Well, they can. We can make less use of our time than we, than we ought. And, and we can fall into this, and it's a needed exhortation. Don't waste your life. And uh, it gets really to the heart of what Paul is saying here. That title, Don't Waste Your Life, gets to the heart of what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, really, make use of it. The, the, the book title is kind of has a more negative spin. Don't waste your life. And Paul is taking it further. He's not only saying don't waste your life, but he's saying really use it well. Make the most use of your life. Make the best use of your life that you possibly can under God. And so this then is the meaning of redeem the time. Make the most and the best use of the opportunities that God gives you. Secondly, Why is it so important to redeem the time? This is a command from God. And this is instruction to us that is serious and sober. And the question is, why is this so important? Well, it's important because, well, for several reasons. Because time is precious. The world seems to understand to some degree that time is precious. For instance, if you ask uh, what uh, a 30-second commercial costs at the most recent Super Bowl, where the uh, Los Angeles Rams won the Super Bowl, I might add, if you want to know how much it costs to have a 30-second commercial, you want to advertise your, oh, your brand of handbag, it's going to cost you $6.5 million to have a 30-second commercial. So you hear that, you say, well... Time is precious. But they don't really understand, the world doesn't really get it, as to how precious time is. When people begin to think about time as precious, it's often because they're getting close to death. Usually that's when people start to realize that time is precious. I'm told that Elizabeth I said on her deathbed, all my possessions for a moment of time. I don't know whether that's true. If it is true, while we sympathize and we understand, all my, I will give everything to be able to live a little longer. And if you've talked to people who have been on their deathbeds, and if you've talked to unbelievers on their deathbeds, if you've talked to unbelievers facing death, then you know that's how people think. I'll do anything to prolong my life. I'll do anything for more time. And as death approaches, they begin to understand that time is precious. But we have, as Christians, a more profound understanding as to why time is precious. Time is precious because it has eternal implications. The decisions that you make here in time have eternal implications. If you don't get right with God in time, you suffer in hell in eternity. So what goes on in time 
is of enormous and, in fact, infinite importance. So you want to make the best use of time in this world whilst you have it. You want to make the best use of it. Get right with God. That's the best thing you can do. So time is precious because it has eternal consequences and implications. And time is precious because it means that we have opportunities to serve God. And what's the importance about tomorrow? So it's Monday. So what's really important about tomorrow? Well, you're given 24 hours. You're given an opportunity to serve the living God, to serve your Creator, to serve the Lord Jesus Christ who has shed His blood for your redemption. Jesus who went to the cross to die for you, and now you're, you're privileged to live for Him. So you have an opportunity to serve Him. That's why time is so precious. And time is precious because uh, it's an opportunity to walk with God. Time is precious because it has eternal implications, because it's an opportunity to serve God, and because it means that we have an occasion to walk with God. Our purpose, uh, the purpose of our existence is to know God and to enjoy God. Our goal is to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. We start that glorifying in time. And we start that enjoying in time. And so tomorrow is not just an opportunity to serve, but it's an opportunity to enjoy God. It's an opportunity to commune with God. You can get up in the morning and read your Bible. You can get up uh, and walk through the day and, and talk to God every hour of the day. It's an opportunity to to enjoy God, to be Enoch-like and and walk through life with the living God as your companion. That's why time is so precious. These are opportunities given to us by God for that. So uh, we must redeem the time because time is precious. And then we must redeem the time because time is fleeting. Time is fleeting. I I was going to bring a... I have a little identity card in my car that um, was given to me, oh, I think probably in the 90s. I'd I'd really like you to see it at some point because I have considerably more hair, and it is all jet black. Just think about that. This This is jet black. And it's changed just like that. It's all gone so very quickly. I remember Bill Payne uh, preaching, and I was sitting in the front row at uh, the old Trinity Baptist building, and one of my daughters was sitting on my lap, and Bill says to me, he says, oh, he says, that's so sweet. He says, you enjoy that, because it'll, it'll end very soon. You know, before you know it, and before you know it, it's gone. Time is, time is fleeting, and, and very soon you, you can't do what you used to do before. So time is precious because it goes very quickly. And then thirdly, uh, we must redeem the time because time is short. Look at Romans chapter 13, beginning at verse 11. Romans 13 and verse 11. Romans 13, verse 11. Besides this, you know the time that 
The hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now the night is far spent and the day is close at hand. And so let's get going. That's why the hymn says, stand up, stand up for Jesus. The strife will not be long. There's not much time left, you see. I think of my own life. I know that um, I'm in the latter part of my ministry. Very much aware of that. And I know that I have served longer than I probably will have opportunity to serve in the future. And, um, you know, you're conscious of, of all that needs to be done. You're conscious of the fact that there's so much to do as Christians in this world of ours. And you're aware then that there's not much time. The strife will not be long. The opportunities will not be long in this world. But when you begin to think like that, those opportunities become ever more precious and ever more important, and you realize more and more profoundly just that you need to redeem the time and you need to make the most of the opportunities that God presents to you. We don't really know how much time God is going to give to each one of us. Whatever He's going to give us, we need to make the most of it. Because, well, time is short and fleeting and precious. And then we need to redeem the time because, well, the days are evil. I don't know if I've been more impressed at any other point in my life about the, the evil nature of the world in which we live, of the fact that the days are evil. We almost feel in the last two or three years a sense of the oppressiveness of all of this, of evil all around us, and of dysfunction and misunderstanding in the church, even. You think of the things that uh, are going on in the world in which we live. I was mentioning at Kerry Conference a, a book by Sharon James entitled Lies We Are Told. And then she adds and truths we must hold. But it's the lies we are told that Paul's talking about here. The days are evil. And they're telling us, you know, there is no God. And they're telling us there is no absolute truth. And they're telling us there, are no, there is no set of absolute morality and ethics. And that's because there is no God and there is no truth. So there are no absolute ethical standards in the world in which we live. There's no what they call meta-narrative. There's no story that ties everything together. And all is chaos and all is meaninglessness. And so we can think about those kinds of things. Then you think about the fact that in our country we kill babies. And think about the fact that we want to euthanize everybody. It's getting worse and worse. And you can go on and on and on and on. Think about the fact that our country is so deeply and profoundly secular. And materialism is rampant 
outside the church, and oh my, it's infiltrated the church in ways that we don't understand. But it's becoming increasingly more clear that it has. So Paul says, make the best use of your time. Don't dilly-dally. Don't just while away the hours. The days are evil. Satan is rampant. Jesus is coming back. We're closer to the end than we were yesterday. The days are evil. You must be about your father's business. They need to hear about Jesus. They need to be rescued. So make the most use of your time. Jonathan Edwards made resolutions when he was very young. One of them says this, resolved never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. When he says improve that, that moment of time, he says improve means to, well, it means to do what Paul said. It means to make the best use of it. Make the most use of this time. That's my resolution. I wonder if you want to Write that down as a resolution tonight. I want to I do what he said. I want to never lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. I mean, write that down and say, for the rest of my life now, how many years might you have? 20, 30, 40, 50? For the rest of my life now, I want to make the most use and the best use of the opportunities that God gives me. So there you have two questions. What does it mean and why is it important? And now I want to spend a little time, a little bit more time on uh, what it looks like. If you're going to redeem the time, what does it look like? Well, several things. First of all, you're going to use your capacity to choose. You use your capacity to choose and you use that capacity wisely and well. You say, well, um, I'd like to read the Bible, but I really don't have time. Well, that's not true. (laughs) If you say you don't have time, what you really mean is, I've chosen not to have time. What you mean is, I've chosen to do something else other than read my Bible. Um, It's really a matter of choice. Listen to the Lord Jesus. Uh, Matthew chapter 6 And our Lord Jesus here is talking about our choices. Matthew 6 and verses 9 to 13. What is important to us? We we choose the things that are really important to us. And Jesus here is telling us what ought to be important to us. What ought to dominate our prayers are the things that we consider to be the most important. And that should influence our choices. So he says this. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. So the first thing we're concerned about is the glory of God. Your kingdom come. We want to see sinners saved. We want to see the church grow. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. These are the great concerns of your prayer life, says Jesus. And consequently, these are the great concerns of your life. These are the choices you make with regard to your time. 
time management. Time management is just a series of choices. You choose to do this in this hour, and you choose to do that in the other hour. And the Lord Jesus says, this ought to be the the theme of your life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. That's verse 33 in Matthew 6. So what choices are you going to make in your life? Are you going to make choices with regard to the way you spend your time and the way you expend your energies during those particular hours? Are you going to make choices that are consistent with the priorities that Jesus lays out in the prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer? But it's really our prayer, isn't it? Uh, Larry Crabb writes this. He's talking about how you live and how you raise children. And we can teach children certain things, but then what do they learn from the choices we make? What do they learn from what we do with our time? He says this. He says, children will in some form reproduce our efforts to find significance and security. If we really believe that money and achievement bring significance, or that compliments and attractive clothing bring security, we can prate on all we want about the joy of knowing Jesus. Our children will learn to depend on what we are really depending on for satisfaction in life. No amount of teaching, family devotions, or trips to church will effectively counter the message we convey with our lives. That's sobering. They're going to ignore what you teach about Jesus from the Bible if your life and your choices and the way in which you spend your time contradicts what you teach them. Your life is preaching a sermon to them, and it may be louder in their ears than what you teach them in your formal family devotion time. So we need to be careful to to use the capacity to choose in such a way as reflects biblical priorities. And so spend time, choose to spend time that uh, is consistent with those biblical priorities. And so some of you here now tonight, you've made a choice about where to be tonight. And I have no doubt at all that your children observe that and they see that and they understand from that what mom and dad's priorities are. Now they understand that mom and dad think there's no better place to be on a Sunday night than to be under God's word. So mom and dad, well, they clearly prize God's word. They clearly prioritize the worship of God. They're listening to the choices you make. They're listening to what you do. They're learning from your prioritizing. They're being instructed by and impacted by your choices. So you're choosing to use this hour in a particular way. That's why I'm saying to you that what it's going to look like if you redeem the time, well, use your choices, uh, use the capacity to choose and use it in such a way as honors God and is instructive to the children and is encouraging to the saints and is quite striking to the world. That's the first thing. Secondly, use your youth. Use your youth. Now, I know that youth, that word youth, 
That's a flexible word. I used to think youth meant 17. I think, I think now youth is early 40s. I'm, I'm, I'm shifting even as I speak to late 40s. So I really don't care how you think of youth, but most of you, I look at you, I think, not all of you, brother, I must say. <laughs> but, but most of you, I think, wow, you're, you're quite youthful. I'm saying to you now, use your youth. Ecclesiastes 12 says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. And he's not talking about, oh, just intellectually remember. But he's talking about remember in the sense of priority and in the sense of passion. I mean, prioritize God in your youth. Make God the great concern of your days when you're young and vigorous. And have a passion for God in your youth. Make the most of these years of of strength and vigor. Make the most of them. Because that strength and vigor is going to fade. And before you know it, it's going to be gone. So make the most of it. And let me apply this to to one particular area. Uh, The area of memorizing the scriptures. Uh, Know the word of God. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119, verse 11. I've hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. And I'm saying to you, when you're younger, we'll make that term flexible. When you're younger, then make the most of the strength and the vigor you have, particularly intellectually, to store masses of Scripture in your heart, to read the Scriptures and know the Scriptures and have your roots Go down deep into the scriptures, filling your mind and your heart up with biblical texts. And it will do you good. Because people of the word are powerful in the work. You you need to know that, that people of the word are powerful in the work. And this is the work that you want to do as a Christian. You want to shine your light at work. You want to be good and godly in your home. You want to have relationships, relationships with people where you reflect Christ. This is all the work that God's given you to shine your light in this world. That's the work. And people of the word are powerful in the work. So, so know the scriptures. Study the scriptures. Memorize the scriptures. Young men. So you're younger than 65, right? So you're, you're young. You're in your 30s and 40s and 50s. So... Study the scriptures. Young women, if you want to have an impact upon those around you and be a blessing, then study the scriptures. Memorize the scriptures while your mind is is fertile and vigorous and powerful and has more capacity than it's going to have later. Um, You want to be men and women of the word so that you might have an impact on the world. And what's more, you know, it's going to have an impact on you. It's going to stabilize you. It's easy for us to be 
to be jostled by the world and by things that happen. So you're, you're walking along and the sun's shining and all is bright and you can hear the birds and everything and then something just bumps you and knocks you off course. Something happens, someone says something and, and it just knocks you for a loop. And I'm saying to you that if you, if you study the scriptures and you know the Bible more and more, you're, you're hiding the word of God in your heart, you're going to be more stable. It's not going to knock you off completely. It might knock you a little bit, but you'll be able to keep going. And it's because the Word of God has that kind of effect on us. See, Lucy, Lucy, you know, from Peanuts, Lucy's sitting at the window, and it's raining. And it's raining and raining and raining. And Linus comes along, and he says, what's wrong? She says, oh, I'm so worried. I'm so anxious. What are you anxious about? Well, it's been raining and raining and raining, and I'm afraid there's going to be a flood. And it's going to destroy the world. And Linus says, well, in Genesis 9, God says, I establish a covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. Charles Schultz, of course, was a Christian. So Linus says, yes, he quotes Genesis 9. And he says, well, now, there's not going to be a flood because God said. And Lucy says, well, I feel better. And Linus says, well, good theology as a way of doing that. And that's what I'm saying to you, why you want to memorize the Holy Scriptures. And so when, you know, the rain keeps coming, you say, no, I think it's going to be okay. Because God said, and Jesus calms the waters, and he'll never leave, and he won't forsake, and he'll provide every need, and so on and so forth. And you have, the, you have all these verses at your fingertips. It helps you to be stable. So, memorize the scriptures. When you get older, it's not going to work as well up here. I'm telling you that. I'm warning you. I'm assuring you. I don't think you're going to be the sole exception. And so, I know I've memorized scriptures when I was younger, and I'm I'm trying to memorize scriptures now that I'm older. It doesn't work as well. So, do it while you're young. That's why I'm saying, make the most of your youth. Thirdly, use your life. Use your life. Look at your life and say, how can I use my days for the glory of God and for the saving of souls and for the good of the church? So you say, well, I'm not a missionary, and I have a nine-to-five, and I'm saying to you, well, it doesn't matter. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 6, when he says, seek first the kingdom of God, he's not talking to just a select group. You know, the the SWAT team of the Christian church. He's talking to all believers. And you prioritize the kingdom. And in all of the varied circumstances of your life, you can do that. And you want to look at your life and say, well, now this, this block of time, whatever time he gives me, I commit myself to use this for his glory for the extension of the kingdom, for the saving of souls, and for the uh, edifying of the church. And, you know, God uses all kinds of Christians in all kinds of situations to, uh, to do just that. And in your workplace, and how you relate to people, and how you respond in the midst of suffering, how you face a crisis... All of these things can be useful in the purposes of God to bless others, to instruct the saints, to be a light to the lost, 
and to bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I have friends. Uh, they're a Christian couple, and, and I, I think I've probably learned more about godliness and, and Christian love from them. He, he is an electrician. He's never been to Bible college. Um, she's a homemaker. And they both worked very hard at their calling. But God taught me about godliness and about Christian love. And they used their life. Wow, they're, at, they're towards the end now. But God enabled them to use their life to be a great blessing to the Christians they know and to be a shining light to the unbelievers they encountered. And they lived a life that was glorifying to God and is still instructive to me. So what I'm saying is that you and I, we want to look at our lives as a whole and say, well, now that's what we want to do. We want to glorify God and win souls and bless the saints in every situation in our lives. Even our leisure time, you know. I, I, the Lord blessed my time away. I spent a little time away, and, and it was wonderfully refreshing spiritually to me. So the, even your leisure time, you can, you can use for uh, the benefit of the saints and for the glory of God's name. Because, you see, your time is not yours. I know in North America we're told that, you know, we're individuals and we're free and so on and so forth. But the fact of the matter is you're not free in that sense. You belong lock, stock, and barrel to God. All your time belongs to him because you were bought with a price, 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. You are not your own. That's what it says there. You're not your own. You were bought with a price, the blood of the Lord Jesus. So you belong to him. So your days belong to him. And that's why it's entirely appropriate for you to just sort of give it back to him and commit it to him for his glory and for the good of his people and for the extending of his kingdom. So use your life. I think this is fourth. Use your gifts. Use your gifts. You have gifts. God's given you gifts. And not just for your amusement. God's given you gifts for his glory. And so maybe you're good at hospitality. So you, you, know, you use that for the edifying of the saints, for the blessing of God's people. Maybe you're an encourager. Encouragement is a wonderful gift. Everywhere you look are people, and some of them are Christians, they'll, they, they feel it's almost their purpose in life to tear you down. But you don't want to do that. If you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, chapter 2, you'll find Paul is a tremendous encourager. You want to be like that. So go home and, and you read 1 Thessalonians 1 and 2. And you say, wow. And you say, I want to be like that. I want to, I want to encourage the saints. There's any number of things that are going to tear them down. Life is hard. And people come to church and they need to be lifted up. They need to be encouraged. Not with silly, pious little platitudes. The Word of God, with Christian truth, with counsel from, from wise saints, with expressions uh, and tokens of love. But they need to be encouraged. And, uh, and you can be an encourager. Help people on. Uh, it, this is a battle. Jesus says it's a knockdown, drag-out battle because you, you, know, you, you need to fight against sin. Kill sin before it kills you. Mortify the deeds of the flesh. Pluck out right eyes and cut off right hands. The Christian life is not easy, and you want to be an encourager. 
And so, you know, use your, your gifts. There are people who have the gift of encouragement, but we're all called to be encouragers. And, uh, you know, there are so many ways in which uh, we, can, we can really help one another. And Paul says uh, in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, he says this, So then, as we have opportunity, so now that's the same word that Paul uses in Ephesians. As we have time, as we have opportunity, he says. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And to be honest with you, as I'm encouraging you to to use the opportunities, use the gifts you have, you know, to do good to others, as I'm encouraging you to do that, I have to honestly say that I've seen, a, I've seen a flourishing of this kind of thing in the year that we've been together. We were together before in another place. And we've been together now for a year or so. And I've seen what seems to me to be quite a remarkable flourishing of, of this kind of thing, of trying to help one another. And it's really good. That's what, that's what the church is all about. That's what the Christian life ought to be characterized by. We, we, we help one another. And we encourage one another. We use whatever gifts we have just to be a blessing. And that's what's going on. And long may it continue. And always may it flourish. And then, well... Use your retirement. <laughs> Use your retirement. Years ago, uh, a few years ago now, Heather, we were in Kingston, and Heather took me to a spot uh, on, the, on the lake shore. And she said, do you remember what you said there? Remember what I said there? Are you kidding me? Don't remember what I said last week. Do you remember what you said there years ago? She said, I, she says, well, you said, I don't believe in retirement. I said, well, okay, now remember. <laughs> well, look, um, you can't retire from God's army, or you can't retire from God's family. You can't retire and say, well, now, I'm done with this whole serving the Lord thing. I'm going to just sort of float until I get to heaven. And that's nonsense. But you can retire from work. I understand that. I've changed my mind from when I was younger, um, but, you know, when you retire, it doesn't mean you go and you sit on the beach and, like, I don't want to sit on the beach and collect shells for the rest of my life. I mean, you always want to be useful. So, even in retirement, you need to be useful in the Church of Christ. And when I retire, I'd love to be useful. I don't want to collect shells. Not denigrating collecting shells. It's fine if you want to collect shells. I'm just saying, I'm not going to do that all the time. And I'd like to be useful. I'd like to be useful here if you're not tired of me. You know, in, in our retirement, we want to be useful. Well, how can you be useful? How can you make the most of your time when, when you're old and you can't do what you did before? Well, you, well, you pray I mean, is there anything more important than that? How churches are undergirded and strengthened 
and lifted up by saints who can barely move anymore, but they pray. The way William Carey was strengthened by his sister, bedridden sister, praying for him. So you can pray. You can be kind. Some of you might remember a lady named Jean Walden, who, uh, oh, she, she used to write little cards. So well, that's not a big deal. Well, yes, it is. You write a card to somebody. It just changes their day. And now it's easier because you don't even have to pay for a card. You can just write an email. Right? So, I mean, you can be kind. You can, you can be an example. Be an example to, to children and to young people and to grandchildren. and An example of, of grace. An example of suffering with grace. An example of priorities. I'll never forget um, Maureen Foster uh, walking down the aisle at Trinity. We're all there, and, and she's just shuffling like this down the aisle coming to church. Well, that's, that's an inspiration, isn't it? That's someone who doesn't have the capacity or didn't have the capacity anymore to do what she used to do, but her example is inspiring. Never forget that. And so, in so many ways, then, you can be a blessing and use your retirement and your old age, and, and in particular, the suffering of old age, because there's suffering in old age, and younger folk need to understand that and be careful and compassionate about that. But uh, all the suffering that comes in old age and with this, the struggles that it brings and the ill health that, it, 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 that accompanies it, what an example and what an inspiration. I remember Hugh Clark... Some of you will know Mr. Clark, and Mr. Clark, in between bouts of agonizing pain because of kidney stones, he would turn to my son Calvin, who was standing by his bedside in the hospital at Mac, and say, my son, do you know the Lord? I don't know anything more powerful than that that's happened in my life that I've witnessed. There's an incapacitated man and on a bed of illness. It's powerful. So there. That's what it looks like. We've, We've witnessed this kind of thing. We've witnessed Mary Lynn. We witnessed Ruth as they died and how much good they did, what a blessing they were to us. How they manifested Christ, how they showed the beauty of Christ, how they trusted the Lord by His grace. And, oh, we'll never forget that. And, to be frank, their husbands manifested the same things. So, yes, retirement, illness, and all the suffering that comes with that, yeah. Even then, and perhaps especially then, we can make the most of the time and be a blessing to the church and glorify the Lord. Two things just in closing. First of all, uh, we do this for the glory of Christ. So the exhortation, the command is redeem the time, make the most of your opportunities. So we do it now. But remember, we do it for the glory of Christ. We do it for the glory of Christ. We don't do it because we like to be busy. 
You know, some people, they're just energized by being busy. But, but, and that's fine, but that's not the motive. We don't do it uh, because we feel guilty. And we don't do it uh, because we want to please people. Uh, we don't do it for personal glory because we want to be praised. Those are not our reasons. Paul will go on to talk about, about family. He'll talk about children and parenting. He'll talk about the workplace. And every time, he says, we do it for the Lord. And the wife submits for the Lord and to the Lord. And the husband does what he does for the Lord. And the worker does what he does or she does for the Lord. That's always our motive. And, and we serve for the Lord. That's the first thing. And the second is we do this by the Spirit of Christ. We do it for the glory of Christ, and we do it by the Spirit of Christ. What I mean by that is don't lean on your own strength. You can rush off in all directions trying to do this in your own strength. And I've done that. I've tried to do the work of the Lord in my own strength. I've tried to do the work of the Lord neglecting fellowship with him and the reading of the word because I'm about the work of the Lord, and so you neglect that. And you end up doing the work of the Lord in the strength that is inside you, and you find out eventually, actually very quickly, that there's not strength at all. Dr. Lloyd-Jones says in Spiritual Depression, it's causes and cures. He says, if you do the work of the Lord in your own strength, it will crush you. So you are called to do things that are much, much too big for you. You can't do this. This uh, redeem the time, this make the most of your opportunities, you're commanded to do it, but you can't do it. And Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. And that's how you do all these practical things in chapters 4 to 6. You do all these things only insofar as you are filled with the Spirit. Only as the Spirit of God enables you. And that, of course, leads you to Bible reading. It leads you to devotions and prayer. It leads you to the throne of grace where you commit each day to the Lord and ask for grace and strength to do what Paul says, to make the most of your opportunities for the good of others and the glory of God's name. So we do it for him, and we do it by the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll pray that God will... Write his word in our hearts and help us to keep going in the way the Lord has been leading us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us and your blessings on us as a church. And we pray that you will help us to do what we are commanded to do in the Holy Scriptures here in our text. Help us to, uh, to redeem the time. Help us to do all we can to make the most of our opportunities uh, for the service of the church, for the blessing of the lost, and the glory of our God. And help us, Father, to do it for your praise, and help us to do it by your Spirit. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen.